A quick note to our listeners. Before we begin today's episode, we want to address the moment that it is being released in. National Children's Museum's mission is to inspire children to care about and change the world. We have a great responsibility to provide young learners with the tools, conversations, and resources necessary to fight racism and injustice. In July's episode, we will be inviting experts to answer kids' questions about racism and inequity in America. If you are a kid and you would like to submit a question, please listen for the instructions at the end of this episode or check out the show notes. Thank you. Hey there, dreamers. You're listening to Steam Daydream with National Children's Museum. Each month, kids just like you will interview STEAM innovators for answers to their biggest questions. National Children's Museum's mission is to inspire kids to care about and change the world. And we encourage all kids to dream through the lens of STEAM. dreamers, the last few months sure have felt different. Because of COVID-19 or coronavirus, a lot of us are stuck inside, unable to go to school or see our friends. While this is the safest thing to do, it's definitely been hard. During this time, you might have lots of questions like, what is a pandemic? Has this ever happened before? And what can scientists do to fight back? Maybe you feel a little worried or stressed and have questions about your emotions, like, why do I feel anxious? Or how can I de-stress? Well, this sounds like a job for some health sciences heroes. This week, my friend Giselle interviewed two scientists, a neuroscientist and a global health scientist, to learn more about anxiety global diseases, and what science can tell us about fighting both. Giselle's a dreamer just like you. Her favorite class is math, and she loves to swim for fun. Giselle, take it away. Hi, my name is Giselle. I am nine years old, and I'm from Silver Springs, Maryland. I have a lot of questions, and today I'm going to talk to someone who has a lot of answers. Dreamers, meet Dr. Gamble George. She is a neuroscientist, and she is here to answer some of my questions. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Gamble George. Thank you for having me. What does a neuroscientist do? So a neuroscientist is basically a scientist or a researcher that studies how the nervous system works. And the nervous system is composed of the brain, also the spinal cord, and what is called nerves. So nerves extend from your brain and your spinal cord to different organs and muscles throughout your body. What does a normal day as a scientist look like for you? So for me, some people would call me a bench scientist or they'll call me a behavioral scientist. So I basically work a lot with animals and I study how they behave when they're under stress. So in a typical day, I might go to what is called an animal behavior core, 
where all the animals are stored. And I'll go get my animals and I work specifically with mice. So I'll get my mice, I'll take them to a room where I do my experiments. But first, before I start my experiments, I'll just let them sit in the room because mice are very anxious when you bring them into a new environment. So once they calm down, then I start my experiment. So with my experiment, I'll take a mouse out of a cage and then I'll put them in a maze. And whatever they do on the maze, I'll try to determine if the mouse is anxious or not. So that's a typical day for me as a neuroscientist. Does it ever get boring? Oh no, it never gets boring. <laughs> how do you study emotions in the brain? What parts of the brain are involved in how we feel? So there's two ways that I study emotions in the brain. So I'm going to just go over a little bit of neuroanatomy with you. So this is a small version of a human brain. So the different regions of the brain, people call them lobes. So there's two regions of the brain that are involved in emotions, or at least controlling them. That's the front part of your brain called the frontal lobe. And there's a side part of your brain called the temporal lobe. So one way that I study is I do animal behavior experiments like I explained before. So I might put a mouse in the maze and try to see if they become anxious. So mice, when they're anxious, they do things very similar to what humans do. Sometimes if we're scared, we become, we might freeze. We might vocalize our fear. But one thing we don't do what mice do is that we'll gravitate toward dark areas. So when we're scared, we might not go to somewhere dark. We might go to a well-lit area. But mice does the total opposite. They go to dark places because they feel very calm there and safe. So I study these different behavior characteristics in the mice to determine if they're anxious. These two brain regions, the frontal lobe and the temporal lobe, play a role in controlling your emotions, but they also play a role in memories. So think about it. If you ever get scared, don't you always remember what scared you in the first place? Yes. So that deals with memories. So your memories are stored also in these brain regions. Kids have lots of emotions, particularly now. What's one thing that you could share with us that helps us understand anxiety and how we can be less anxious? So when you're young, there are things that might scare you because you're just not sure about it or it might be something that is unknown and you don't know the consequences of it. But the way that you address it is that you try to do something that will help you to relieve that stress. So for me, that's drawing and painting. So I might draw a picture of something. And while I'm doing that, it brings down my stress level because my heart not, might not be racing so fast um, or beating so fast. I might not be breathing as hard. So it helps me to calm down. But also it helps me to think more clearly about why I was scared in the first place. And by doing that, I can understand better and then try to address what my fear and why did it start in the first place. Does it ever get complicated? It can get complicated because I think life is complicated. <laughs> so it just really takes an individual to figure out what works for them. So you have to figure out what makes you happy, what helps you to relieve your stress. It might be playing a video game, playing a sport. It could be drawing a, and painting. It could be even playing an instrument. 
It's whatever really makes you happy. If kids are interested in becoming neuroscientists, what steps can they take to get there? So one step is gaining knowledge. You want to gain knowledge in the field. So that's taking courses in STEM. So science courses, technology courses, engineering, and mathematics. The other thing is gaining exposure to the field. So that is getting involved with summer camps, any type of programs that you can find at a school, university, that really will expose you to the field. You can also even shadow a neuroscientist. Just contact them and say, hey, can I spend a day with you and see what you do on a day-to-day basis? We have a call-in question. Great. Hi, Dr. Gamble-George. My name is Valentina, and I am from Washington, D.C. Here's my question. I really like art and science, and I would like to know how art is helpful in science and the other way around. Thank you. So art can help you to communicate your science better. I use art to illustrate what I do in the lab. So it might be the methods I use to understand how the brain works, or it can be just explaining my results. But what it does, it helps me to communicate my science to different peoples that come from different walks of life. Because sometimes you're not always talking the same language as a scientist. Just talking to a family member, the language and the words that you use will be completely different. Really, communication is key, and art is a way to communicate your science very clearly to people. Now, the other way around, science can help art. (laughs) So art can actually, what I mentioned before, it can sort of serve as a stress reliever. So Art, if it relieves stress, is going to reduce the activity of brain cells or neurons. And then it's also going to bring down how fast you're breathing and your heart rate. I was a little nervous before our interview. Is that anxiety? Yes, that is anxiety. Because then you feel like your heart was racing a little bit and you're breathing a little bit fast. And sometimes you even sweat when you're nervous. But you shouldn't be nervous now because this is very easy. Look how great you're doing a job of interviewing a neuroscientist. National Children's Museum's mission is to inspire kids to care about and change the world. How do you change the world? I change the world by sharing my STEM journey with the hope that I will inspire future generations to pursue STEM careers. Maybe I will be a STEM person someday. Yes, you will. Thank you, Dr. Gamble George. Oh, thank you. I had fun. (laughs) Dr. Gamble George is right. You did a great job, Giselle. Phew. I feel a lot more relaxed now that we have learned about emotions and what we can do to feel less anxious. Maybe I'll go create some art. But wait, I still have some questions. I want to learn more about global diseases like COVID-19 and how scientists from all over the world work together to fight them. Let's see what Giselle learned after talking to a global health scientist. Welcome back, dreamers. Meet Dr. Taff. She is a global health scientist and she is here to answer some of my questions. 
thank you for joining me today, Dr. Taff. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Giselle. What is a global health scientist? Well, Giselle, a global health scientist is basically any scientist that works in global health. For example, I'm a biomedical scientist, and the type of science that I work on is about the body and how microbes like bacteria and viruses make people sick. And then we study them to try to figure out how we can make people feel better. How do global health scientists fight diseases? Well, there's a bunch of different ways. Now, all scientists study information, or they work on projects that test out what they think is happening in the world, or they apply the knowledge that they've already learned. Scientists in global health particularly do it regarding things that make people sick or healthy. One area that I've worked on is evaluating if giving people money to do healthy things like go get a vaccination or go to school can make them healthier. So when I was working on this project, I read a lot of studies and I made some decisions about whether I thought they really worked or not. Hmm, maybe this will work. Or how about this? And then I wrote a report so that others could use the evaluation of the evidence to make decisions about these type of approaches to make people healthier or not. I've also worked in a lab. I've done experiments to understand how microbes like HIV or malaria make people sick inside their body. And this information is really important because other type of scientists can use it to create treatments for the disease. So whereas I was on the one area creating the knowledge, other people could use that knowledge to then take it one step further and like make medicine or develop an approach to make people healthier. How have we overcome global diseases in the past? Well, I have to say it takes a lot of people, experts from all areas, and they have to work together. This is super important when you're talking about global diseases. Here come the global health experts. The global health experts work together to save the world from the evil microbes, virus, and bacteria. So, for instance, a lot of the diseases that I've worked on are still around, like HIV, malaria, tuberculosis. They make a lot of people sick. Help! Disease! Never fear, ma'am. The global health experts are here. In these cases, you have experts in different areas that try to prevent sickness as much as possible, right? So if you can't get rid of it, the next best thing to do is minimize how many people get sick and prevent people from getting infected. Because you may not be able to prevent everybody from getting infected, so you just you do your best. And everyone has to work together. And so you have medical doctors and nurses that work on caring for those people that do get sick. Mm -hmm. Hmm, hmm. And then you have scientists that work with them that do research hmm, 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 to test out new treatments or new ways of caring for people. And of course, you have scientific and medical experts hmm, 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 hmm. that work in large global health organizations or in governments that help decide if those new treatments are good, right? You also need really good leaders like mayors and governors that work with the scientific experts. Hmm. Hmm. And saying, hey, we've got a disease going on right now. How do we fight it? What do we tell people? What precautions are we taking? It's not just the scientists and the medical doctors. There's so many different people that are involved and they come with their different expertise from different areas and they have to talk to each other. Hmm. 
And it's important that people from all over the world do this as well, because diseases travel really easily, especially with how much we fly to different places. So it's, that's really important. It's really key that we all work together and we all apply our expertise in the area that we, you know, we're best suited for. What is your advice for kids who are interested in becoming a global health scientist? I would say learn as much as you can about all areas of health. Learn about biology, social studies, the environment, medicine, math. This is really important because all these things in some way or the other influence how disease spreads or what makes people sick or healthy. And all these different areas can help you learn. You can apply it in different ways to fight disease. What does it mean to be a stereotype breaker? You know, throughout my career, I've struggled for people to understand me. I'm a scientist, but I don't want to work in the lab. I'm also a scientist that is talented in other areas outside of science. I'm a scientist that doesn't look or act like what you see on TV. I feel successful in being myself. So I try to break those stereotypes by just being myself. Anybody can be a scientist, not just those types that you think those stereotypes are. As a global health scientist, is it hard to find cures for diseases? I would say it is. So when new, new diseases come out, you have to say, hmm, what do we know about this? So with coronavirus, well, we've been studying coronaviruses for a while. So there's at least like a number of scientists that had some knowledge about the biology of it and even the epidemiology of how it would spread from person to person. And there's usually, I would say, some existing knowledge that we can start from. Science is not a fast process because we're also trying to be safe and we're always testing and we're always making sure that what we develop it's not going to hurt people when we, when we develop a cure. Like that's super important. It's like, you know, when you're, maybe you write something and you double check to make sure that you didn't make a mistake. Like that's what we do a lot of times. So it's not fast necessarily. It can be, but it not always is. National Children's Museum's mission is to inspire kids to care about and change the world. How do you change the world? Well, I'd like to think that I change the world by using science to improve people's lives or health and by advocating that we use the best science to make decisions in global health, by helping explain science to other people so that they can make better decisions about their own or other people's health. I hope that I'm changing the world by sharing my passion so that I can inspire people to do the same thing that I'm doing. I hope kids choose to be like you. I hope so too, thank you. All right, it's good to know that scientists from all over the world are coming together to fight global diseases. As we like to say at the museum, steam work makes the dream work, or in this case, Teamwork truly makes the dream work. And we truly believe that one positive thing that will come from this really challenging time is that there are many dreamers just like you who are asking important questions and turning to innovation to solve the world's problems. That's all for this week, dreamers. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website, nationalchildrensmuseum.org, to find STEAM videos, programs, and resources to keep your curiosity sparked all month long. Tune in next time as we approach the challenging topics of racism and inequity. 
If you have a question about these topics, we want to hear from you. Click on the link in our show notes to record your question. And be sure to begin the recording with your name, age, city, and state. Take care, dreamers. STEAM Daydream with National Children's Museum is narrated by A.J. Calvert and produced by Aubrey Vaughn, with post-production by Stevie Zampanti of Conceptual Podcasting. Special thanks to If Then, an initiative of Lida Hill Philanthropies, for connecting us with the scientists in today's episode. Thank you.